Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. That's where the Apostle Paul is launching from in our second lesson this morning. And then he takes it into, the, into sin and the law and to our Savior. It's an awesome section of scripture because even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it comes across like a close friend who's unburdening themselves on you. And we can relate. He's wrestling with the number one question in the history of man this morning. Why is it we have such a hard time doing the things we want to do, the right things, while doing the things that we don't want to do, the things we know we shouldn't do. Why do those things seem beyond our control? We're like that favorite record you used to play. Kids ask your grandparents what a record is. Like that favorite record, the one with the little scratch that caused the needle to, to bounce and repeat the same part over and over again. What did you do? Well, you probably gave the arm a little nudge to, to uh, get past the defective part. Or if you were like me, you taped a nickel or two on top of the needle cartridge so the extra weight would sort of force it to push through the damage. Brilliant, right? But Paul isn't talking about an old record this morning. He's talking about himself. And in turn, you and I. We're defective. We've got this defect that causes us to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And even a whole roll of nickels in our pocket won't be enough to get us past it. Case in point, I love good food. But I also have a weakness for cheeseburger, macaroni, hamburger, helper. I know, right? Uh, sometimes my life feels more like a series of broad horizons than distinct goals. But here's the thing. I should be able to prepare that stuff in my sleep. But no matter how many times I've made it, I always throw the box away after I add the contents into the, the browned ground beef and I always have to dig it out of the trash again to double check the instructions. Hey, was it a one and a half cups of water and two cups of milk? Or was it the other way around? Uh, every single time. Defective. And I can't seem to help myself. For you, it might be something besides gourmet cuisine. Uh, you won't know how. But I know that some of you watching this morning stand by your microwaves um, just waiting for them to finish their thing, and you always push stop when it gets to one second. Why do you do that? You just hate the beep? Or, and this would be my guess, are you pretending to defuse a bomb, saving the world at the last possible second? Defective. And you can't help yourself, can you? Say you're at the grocery store and you want a cup of sour cream. But there's a man standing right in front of your sour cream reading the label on, on something that's on the shelf right above it for what seems like forever. He's clearly in your way. So what do you do? Remind him it's a grocery store, not a library? Suggest he takes one down and steps over a foot to read the label? Just say excuse me and kind of do the elbow thing in front of him? Nah, I know what you do. And you can't help yourself. You pretend you're looking at the pickles right next to the sour cream while you're waiting. You don't need pickles. You need sour cream. Why do we do things like that? Say it with me. Defective. Right. 3,500 years ago now, the Hebrews praised God for Moses and their rescue from slavery in Egypt, only to build a golden calf when they got into the wilderness. 
uh, one to worship. Now, Peter proclaimed Jesus to be my Lord and my God, even led the disciples throughout Jesus' ministry, only to slink away during the Lord's trial when he was recognized as one of Jesus' disciples. He vehemently denied knowing him, not just once, but three separate times. The Pharisees sought to bring God's law into every aspect of people's lives as a sort of living presence, only to create such a restrictive culture that the divine they'd sought to reveal uh, became obscured and distorted by their own excessive rules and regulations. The Romans cultivated mankind's highest achievements in culture and beauty and then built the Colosseum as a place of gory battles and sadistic executions. The Puritans fled England in order to gain freedom to worship God in their own way and then established one of the most regulated, restrictive communities in the New World. The American Revolution proclaimed all men are created equal but kept slavery while restricting voting rights to free white land-owning males. The Civil War was fought to end slavery, but established the Jim Crow era of legalized segregation and white supremacy. World War I promised that it would be the war to end all wars, and it was, until World War II came along, and then Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, Gulf Wars, Want to make it personal again? Bring it a little closer to home? Did you ever say the confession at the beginning of worship? Relish the promise of forgiveness pronounced for Jesus' sake. And then think to yourself later in the service, during the prayers, hurry up, will you, so we can sit down? Why do we do that? You know, the Apostle Paul was arguably one of the greatest and most influential religious figures of all time. He's the one who took what Jesus taught and, and sort of helped us apply it to our own lives. Showed us the power it had to change lives and save lives. A third of the world today claims allegiance to Jesus and, and most of it is, is uh, due to St. Paul. He was a man of intellect and a man of insight. He was a deeply religious man even before he became a Christian. He was inspired by God to write the largest part of what we have in the New Testament today. And yet, listen to what he's confessing this morning. <clears throat> I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Sounds like he could be sitting right here with us, doesn't it? The greatest evangelist the world has ever known, and when it came right down to it, he was no different than you or me. His intentions were the best in the world, but his actions didn't measure up. Why not? Does he blame his parents? Did he suffer from a genetic disorder? Did he blame the government or his living conditions or the Democrats or the Republicans or any of the other things we blame our troubles on today? He doesn't. No, he blames his problem on what he refers to as the law of sin. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He knows the freedom from sin we have in Christ, that we're no longer slaves to it, even though we do have the free will to choose it over God. But he also recognizes the battle raging within, the civil war between good and evil, the old Adam and the new man going on night and day in his own mind. It's the battle we're engaged in too. 
a war between our new baptized natures and that old sinful nature we inherited from our parents who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, and so on and so on, all the way back to Adam. It's like part of our genetic makeup, but in a spiritual way. It's a, it's a miserable feeling to be at war with yourself. You know you're a sinner. You understand the difference between right and wrong, but you feel absolutely helpless to influence the ultimate outcome of the battle. Am I right? That's a miserable way to live, but we don't have to. There's help. Some of the things we do should bother us. Every time we lose a skirmish with sin, we ought to feel uncomfortable. In fact, if everything's working like it should, uh, we ought to feel something that's more in the line of downright painful, like putting your hand on a hot stove. You know, pain is, is nature's way of letting you know something is wrong. The pain and humiliation and of humiliation and embarrassment is the Holy Spirit's way of bringing you back in line, back to the foot of the cross in repentance, praying for forgiveness, praying for another fresh start. And for Jesus' sake, our God is only too happy to give you one. Now, some people might say that what you need is an attitude adjustment. I think if you really thought it through, I think you realize what you really need is a savior. Listen to Paul's struggle. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wow. Paul isn't looking for someone to, to make himself feel better, is he? contrary to modern-day thinking. It's not about his self-esteem. For Paul, it really is about who he is and who he wants to be, a new person, a person liberated from the law of sin. In the beginning of our reading, in verse 14, Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Remember, Paul used to be an unbeliever, uh, back when he was a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church, and, and he was really good at both of those things. But now, as he's writing these words, he's a believer. And it's this reborn man that he's talking about. You know, as long as we're in the flesh, uh, he understands we'll be defeated by sin. He's saying that the old Adam, the sinful, rebellious nature of Adam, still clings to a believer, even though he or she has been brought to saving faith. It's, it's something we're just born into this world with. You know, something we, we have to live with until we're freed from these bodies of flesh. A lot of people think that when you become a Christian, all your struggles and your troubles come to an end. Truth is, it just opens your eyes to the battle. There's a sort of a gulf that exists, separating even the very best we can do from the perfection God's perfect law demands from us. Now, that gulf can be seen in the daily struggle that we face, doing the things we don't want to do and not doing the things we know we should do and we want to do in the very worst way. It's a battle between two natures, our sinful nature, the one inherited from Adam, which can do nothing right, and the new nature of God we received by faith and we were reborn in the waters of holy baptism, which can do nothing wrong. They're not hard to tell apart. It's hard to use uh, confusion for an excuse. Now, Paul's not saying the things that he didn't want to do snuck up on him when he wasn't paying attention. He's not saying that the old nature broke into his house in the middle of the night and hog-tied him and forced to do the things he didn't want to do. And it wasn't his desire to do wrong at all. 
fact, it was just the opposite. But he did wrong anyway. His choice. You know, we all have a free will. It's a little like getting skunked. Maybe your dog has shared that experience with you. You know, back in 1972, Loudon Wainwright III had a hit song that's sort of hard to forget. Went a little like this. Crossing the highway late one night, he should have looked left and he should have looked right. He didn't see the station wagon car. The skunk got squashed and there you are. You got your dead skunk in the middle of the road, stinking to high heaven. Take a whiff on me, that ain't no rose. Roll up the windows and hold your nose. You don't have to look and you don't have to see. You can feel it in your olfactory. So you get that skunk smell on you. And you can scrub and bathe and scrub and bathe. And when you're all done, you still stink. It clings to you. Only in the case of sin and our sinful nature, it wants to do more than just stink up your life. It wants to destroy the relationship you have with God. The two are incompatible. They're like, like oil and water, and so they, they do battle. Paul sees it perfectly. Um, he talks about the law of my mind. Uh, this law is really almost identical to the law of God he talks about. In his mind, he serves the law of God. He delights in doing the things that please God, in other words. Okay? We read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In our minds, we side with God on every point. But there's another side that Paul calls the law in my members. This is the law of sin. This is the law that asserts itself in a believer's body, the one that causes the eyes to look with, uh, involuntarily, really, with lust, or the tongue to spread gossip, or the ears to strain to hear things that are improper or impure. The gulf between what the law demands and what the flesh can produce is huge. The battle will practically pull us apart. Paul feels that. And he knows that winning the war is going to require reinforcements, help from the outside. Now, anyone who's familiar with a 12-step program understands that we really can't look inside ourselves for the strength to give our godly natures the winning edge. And it isn't restricted to, to addictions. It works the same way for just plain, ordinary, bad living. To turn our lives around, we have to come to the realization, finally, that you know, our way hasn't worked out all that well. That even if we can't smell the stink of our own sin anymore, God still can. And so, like Paul, we cry out, wretched man or wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Rescue. That's what Paul's looking for. Rescue was what he needed, even after having been rescued from death and brought to a new life of faith in Christ. This former persecutor of Christians who had become, their, had become their greatest advocate, still knew that he needed rescue. Again. This time from himself, something he'd never recognized in his old life, something he'd been blinded to. Who will deliver me? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus delivered Paul. And he can deliver you and I through that same, same forgiveness, that same connection to God. That same power of God, the power we received in our, in our baptisms. That's the strength, the support, the, the guidance we received along with God's free gift of faith in Jesus. That faith spans the gulf. That faith allows God's Holy Spirit to fight with us and win a battle now and then. You know, the best defense against a skunk might be to turn tail and run. But we have, a, we have to be more aggressive if we're going to win the, the battle against our own sinful natures. 
best part of it all is that even when our best efforts at doing right still fail, our Father in heaven, for Jesus' sake, will see us through the lens of his son's perfect life for us. That's why Jesus came, to accomplish perfectly and completely what we could never do. That's the reason we take time to prepare ourselves for worship with a confession every Sunday. Why we take the time to name before God the places we've fallen short and fallen down. We try to be as honest with ourselves and with Christ our Savior as we can. Not so he knows. He's God. He already knows. We do it so that he knows that we know. Then we take his hand, we let him lift us up with the muck and the, the mire of our sin, knowing this, as always, you know, we have another chance and we've just been given another brand new fresh start. That's good news that's really nothing short of contagious. News someone you know can use today. That's grace, the undeserved love and mercy of God. Christ gave hope to the world by the forgiveness he earned for us on the cross. And that means hope for you and for me. Sure, life's a struggle. But, you know, after this, there's, there's life without struggle for all eternity. We're living in the tough part of eternity right now. But this is the temporary part, the fleeting part, because the best is yet to come. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus.